0: Hello, everybody. It's great to see you. I want to say hello to Christ Community Downtown, Christ Community International, Christ Community Spanish, Christ Community Tradition, and also our friends at uh, Style Community Church. We love you, and we support you, and we're excited about the things that you guys are doing all over the city of Greeley. It is so fantastic about all the relationships that we have with all the people in our community and all the things that are going on, and, and so I'm, I'm super excited to talk about a sermon series that's coming up um, that's a Coming week, Pastor Around will be uh, kicking off a sermon series called Can You Relate? It's a sermon series on relationships. And, and relationships and not so much, you know. You know, the relationship only between a husband and a wife, or between parents and kids, or or roommates, or or brother and sister, or only those things. It's actually all of those things, and and there's these these common bonds and common factors between relationships that 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 causes something very ordinary to be fantastic. And we believe uh, that God wants our relationships to not just. Be be okay, or something that we just get b- buy-in, but God has a dream for our relationships that they are going to be and can be fantastic. So that sermon series begins this upcoming week, so excited about it, and it's going to be super. Uh, talking about the topic of relationships, we are also on the sermon series called Love Beyond Borders, which that also is about relationship and how we relate to other people. And tonight's going to be the end of this sermon series. It has, has been fantastic. It's been challenging. It's been it's something that has caused us to talk and to think about things that we haven't talked about before and haven't really thought about before and, and caused to, to, you know, us to have fantastic conversations in the church. I am very thankful to be a part of a church that has hard conversations and goes places you know, that the average person does not go to. So I feel very blessed to be a part of that. Tonight's topic is all about perspective. It's about having a priestly perspective, the perspective of a priest. Pastor Allen began this whole sermon series by talking about this pair of sunglasses that whenever he played tennis or something, he put on this pair of sunglasses that blocked out all the other colors except a tennis ball, and it helped him have a, a better perspective when he was playing tennis. Tonight, we're going to talk about perspective, and we're going back there, but, but pretty much the perspective of a priest, because Peter talks about, as being people of God, being children of God, we are called to be priests. So tonight, we're going to talk about being priests, and have a priestly perspective. The passage we're going to be talking about begins in 1 Peter so if you have your Bibles, open them up to 1 Peter 2 9, and it's time to begin. So 1 Peter, and the author of 1 Peter is Peter. Alright, cool. Okay, so let's get started. Here we go. 1 Peter 2 9. B-b-b- but you are the ones chosen by God, chosen for a high calling, a priestly work, chosen to be holy people, God's instruments to do his work and speak for him, to tell others of of the night and day difference that he made for you, from absolutely nothing to something, from rejected to accepted. But you are the ones chosen by God, a high calling of priestly work. You are priests, so turn to each other and say, you are a priest, Go ahead. One more time. That was lame. Say, you are a priest. priest. That's right. You are a priest. But oftentimes when I hear, I am a priest, or, or Paul talks about, you are a priest. Or Peter says, you are a priest. I'm like, no, I'm not a priest. Because I don't even know what a priest is. Or or there's this idea of being a priest of like high calling. And, and do I have this high calling? And have I arrived yet? Because there's so much that I have to do and understand and become to be a priest. Who am I to serve? And especially in the biblical idea of priest, it just really isn't someone who gets up at church and talks in front of people. What a priest is, it's like this, this combination between a priest, a, a, pastor a prophet and a poet like they're this is it's like this holy trinity of awesomeness you know and and so whenever they talk about priests it's like a pastor and a prophet and a poet all combined into one like they, they serve people and they understand you know the things that pe- people need and they want to shepherd and then, and then they're poetic and they just seem to point out God everywhere through everything and then they're prophetic and they're pointing towards heaven and saying you know keep hope keep hope keep hope and do I do that no you know what I mean? And so every time I you know, come across these passages, it's like, you are a priest. You are for a mighty priesthood. And, you know, it kind of paints this picture like, I have arrived, and I don't feel like I've arrived. It's kind of like, you know, whenever people get married, uh, you know, whenever people get married, you have these two people like, that that are super young, you you know, they're 22, 23, and they think they've arrived, right? Like, the end of the story happens here. This is happily ever after. Everyone in the congregation is going like, good luck, you know what I mean? You know, but for these two people, it's like, you know, we have journeyed so hard to get to this point, and we have come to the end of our destination, you have arrived, we've arrived. But for everyone else who has been married, they're holding this perspective of you have just begun. You have just begun for everything that's going to happen. But it points to the journey of arrival. You know, it's the journey of arrival. You are just beginning at the trailhead of this journey that will take you to the summit. You are just beginning. It's like a ship that's about to set sail and we're celebrating. You are ready to go, but you have not sailed yet. It's perspective. It's, it's. We have not arrived yet. In fact, whenever I think about couples that just got married, I get really excited about it because they are about to embark on a journey that they already think is over. Uh, and in fact, this past Friday, I had a friend who proposed to his girlfriend, and he did it in such a cool way, and I'm going to share you with that now. Um, he, um, he, so it was his birthday. It was Friday night, and his Girlfriend was going to throw him a surprise party, and so she had this whole thing planned out. There's going to be a surprise party, and she she was going to invite all of you know his friends and his family and her family and friends, and it was going to be awesome. And she baked this like super special cake for him, and she was so excited for this surprise. He was going to propose to her that evening on his birthday. You know, because for him, it's like birthday, you know, start something new. He's poetic, you know. And so so he tells his parents, I'm going to propose to my girlfriend tonight. His parents totally know there's going to be a surprise party. So they have to you know, say, well, you know, should we tell him? Should we not? Proposal. You know? The proposal trumps birthday party every time. And so the parents told. Uh, told him, well, here's the deal. She's going to have a surprise party. She's baking a cake. It's going to be super special, you know. And so he said, I have this idea. And so she bakes this cake. This is homemade cake just for him. It's his favorite kind of cake. And she, she did the whole thing homemade. And, and she brings it to his parents' house to put in the refrigerator. At this point, he takes the ring and puts it inside the cake. It's inside of her cake that she had prepared And so the evening happens and they're hanging out at home and the friends come out and and she's carrying this cake and she starts singing happy birthday and she's so excited and all of his friends and family are singing happy birthday and from her perspective, she rocks. You know, from her side, she is like the best girlfriend ever, she baked a cake, all of her friends, I'm surprising you, I am awesome, I'm I'm the best girlfriend in the world. And from his parents' perspective, this is awesome. Like they know both stories and they're seeing it all happen. From his friend's perspective, it's a birthday party. From his perspective, he's going to propose to his wife. And so she brings out this cake, you know, happy birthday, and he acts all surprised and, you know, this is awesome. And then he gets down, you know, he gets down and the cake's here and she's like, what are you doing? And then he takes his hand and puts it in her cake, right? And so from her perspective, what's happening, you know? And from his, he puts it in in, in the cake and he pulls out a ring and he says, will you marry me? And it's awesome because this was her cake that she made. How'd you do that? My ring. (laughs) And so you just have to be, be blown away. You have to be blown away by all the people in the room and all the perspectives in the room. And you have to think the place that each person's heart was in, in the room. Because this is a story about heart, right? It, it isn't a s- story about, you know, perspective. It, this is a, a story about heart and where everyone's heart was. The heart of the girlfriend was here. You, the heart of the, 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 the guy was here. The heart of the parents was here. The part of the friends was here, you know? And and so perspective, perspective, perspective. And and so it's so easy, I believe, to interchange the idea of perspective and heart posture. Perspective and heart posture. Perspective, it sounds cold. I'm a heart kind of guy. So I want to call perspective heart posture, the posture of your heart whenever you encounter something. The posture of your heart whenever you encounter something. How do you posture yourself whenever you encounter something? And today we're talking about the heart posture of a priest, a priest of God. That's what First Peter says. And in the Christian journey, there seems to be two big black and white heart postures that that are throughout the whole biblical story. It's a journey between two kingdoms. There's a heart posture of the old kingdom, and there's this heart posture of the new kingdom. The old kingdom, it seems to be this place, it's typically talked about as as like poetically, you would talk about Babylon or Egypt, or even Rome, Poets and prophets talk about the, the, those as almost being the same thing. It's Rome and Babylon and Egypt, this place of slavery, this place of bondage, this place of, 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 of depravity. And then there's this kingdom of God. There's this kingdom of God that's like there's more than enough. There's, there's perfection, there's healing, there's goodness. And then there's a place in between. There's a place in between. And the biblical story seems to be the story of salvation from going from kingdom to going to kingdom. And oftentimes we're caught in between these two places. The old kingdom and the new kingdom. The kingdom that I was born into. You know, all of us were born a sinner. born into the earth. we were born into the dominant culture. We're trained to think a certain way. We are trained and brought up in this kingdom. But the whole human story of salvation and transformation, as talked about Christ, is to bring our hearts on this journey to have a heart shaped like God. To have a heart shaped like God's kingdom abounds and good things happen. But it seems like we most commonly are caught up in between these two kingdoms. We are caught in between these two kingdoms, the kingdom of the old and the kingdom of the new. The kingdom here seems to be very practical and black and white. And this is how things tend to function, that we understand and we tend to rationalize, this makes sense. For me, the old kingdom makes lots of sense. Whenever we begin talking about God's kingdom and the New kingdom and the love and grace and the abundance, it doesn't make sense. This is a journey. The journey in between is from things <laughs> making sense into the paradox of the kingdom. The kingdom is all about paradox and things that challenge us and don't make sense. And so we're often caught in between saying, is this true or is this true? Is this true or is this true? How should I live out my daily life? Is this true or is this true? Truth is hard to find. In fact, Christ himself said his whole purpose in coming was to testify to the truth. So I've come to testify to the truth. The same term for truth, auction, it's the same word that Means reality. I'm here to show you what is really real because over here, this looks real and this looks important, but this is what is really real. The whole the whole purpose, the ministry of Christ and the salvation work that He has done and completed. It is to show you what is really real, and the heart posture that is really real, and who you really are. And it began with his very first miracle. Now, if you're anything like me at all, the first miracle that Christ performed, I was like, really? You know, it's like a party trick. Actually, it is a party trick, right? You know, he turned water into wine. He turns water to wine at a wedding. And this is the first thing that they ever did. Yay, Jesus. But this was a beautiful, prophetic, gorgeous thing that Christ does. And I want to tell you the story, the bigger poetry of the miracle that was being performed. First of all, this is taking place at a wedding. It's taking place at a wedding. There is a theme of a wedding all throughout the Gospels it drips with wetting, secondly, it involves water there's a theme of water all throughout the gospels. Water is very important also there's this theme of not enough that is also very important. They ran out of what they could provide at cutting. There's this huge party. They drank all the wine. There isn't enough. There's not enough. And there is this theme. And then there's this theme of Jesus. Which also happens to be all over the Gospels. And then there's wine. There also is an important thing that we often glance over quite a lot. It's this idea of what the water was carried in. So there's this big party. They had wine and it was a wedding and things were happening and this couple thought they had happily ever after. And and so they're partying and they drank the wine and it's all gone, but they still have some party in them. And so there's a problem. It's like, Jesus, we ran out of wine. And it says, he told the servants to go get water and put them in these jars that were traditionally for baptism, so these jars were traditionally for baptism that these people put water into, and then Jesus speaks over it, and he turns it into wine. Water, baptism things, wine. Also, this is in a land of, um, who's dominated by this goddess who's... N- Name is Diana. And what is the goddess Diana of? She is the goddess of wine. So, so in the land of Cana, who worships the god Diana, who is the goddess of wine, there is not enough wine. And Jesus takes water, puts it in baptismal vats, turns it into what this god was supposed to do all along. And there's a wedding. This is very, very important. Furthermore, it just doesn't say there's enough wine for everybody. There was just enough. There was more than enough. It was overflowing. People couldn't do it. You know, it was a college party that they could not hack it. There was plenty left over, there was an abundance of wine. And this is the thing that begins to paint the picture of why Jesus was here in the beginning. Also, water is symbolic of something very common, something very free, is something very human. Water is symbolic of earth. Wine is symbolic of, of divinity, something special, something deep, richness. This was a proclamation of the kingdom crashing into earth. It isn't a a journey from one to the other. It is simply a hostile takeover. The thing that was common, the thing that everyone had, we will make it divine and good. And this is something that a priest is very good at. Furthermore, it is pointing towards the kingdom. The kingdom, the wine is pointing towards the kingdom and the overflowing of the kingdom. There is more than enough. Jesus' kingdom is more than enough. There's always an abundance whenever Jesus does something with his kingdom. There's always more than enough. Like, there's more than enough wine or cup overflows. And, and there's 5,000 people and I have this bread and this fish and I won't just feed them. I will feed the baskets and the baskets will be overflowing. There's extra, there's more than enough. I mean, I've had, had plenty of, people who said I couldn't pay the Bills and you know blah blah blah, and I got to check in the mail for just the right amount. That's cool, but in the Bible, it's like God is like more than enough. You need to pay the rent. I'll buy your house, you know. And that seems to be like this picture of the kingdom. It says this, this kingdom of abundance, this kingdom of beauty, especially whenever you're coming from this kingdom of there isn't enough. This kingdom of bondage, this kingdom of slavery. Come over here. This is a kingdom of abundance. This is a kingdom of beauty. This is a kingdom that God says yes come in, I call you into holiness, there's more than enough, you don't have to squander this, because you can squander it, because there's plenty to squander, throw it out to people, this is the kingdom, and that's what it paints this picture of. In f- fact, the kingdom of God, as Jesus talks about through, throughout his whole time on earth, is so other and it's so different that, that he has to spend three years telling poetry to help people understand what the kingdom of God is like. So I never you say, oh yeah, I totally understand the kingdom of God. No, you don't. I don't understand what the kingdom of God is like. And furthermore, Jesus is telling parable after parable after parable because there isn't like this concrete idea. Yeah, that it's so easy like to draw up. Well, here's the kingdom of God, and here's the houses, and here's what it looks like, and here's the economy of it. It's like, you know, he's, he's, he's like the kingdom of God is like you know, a fifth field, or the kingdom of God is like a treasure, or a pearl, or the, the kingdom of God is like this, and the kingdom of God is like this. But it's also kind of like this, and like this, and like this, and like this. But if you think it's like this, it's also like this. So the kingdom of God is this really big idea, and this kingdom has a king. And, and, and the king is like a... Father, but he's also like a shepherd and he's he's also like a landowner and he he's also like someone who th- 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 throws parties. But 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 if you only think he's a father, he's not because he's a king. You know what I'm saying? And so it's like Jesus is, and then this idea of kingdom its this big, beautiful, gorgeous idea that he's constantly challenging people to say how you think about things and how you think in the kingdom here. Well, here's how God's kingdom is over here and it's this per- so different perspective that you don't know how to think about what I think. And it's hard, and it's challenging, and people love it. Like, they think they love being challenged. People think they love being challenged. like, yeah, I love being challenged. It's kind of like, um, so the other day I had this breakfast burrito. Wait, I got thirsty. So the other day I had this breakfast burrito. I had this friend who, who makes these amazing burritos. So if you guys can tell, I've been put on, like, 20 pounds in the past year. It's truth. Um, it's his burritos. And so um, he, he mm, hangs these burritos. And I always tell him to put jalapenos in the burritos because I'm all about, you know, having spicy food. And it was awesome, you know. And so he hanks me this burrito, and I get a burrito almost every day from him. He's like, here's your burrito. And it has all these jalapenos in there. And I bit into it, and it was like scorching, you know. Like one of those, like, I'm like, crying. I'm like, oh my gosh, Ben, this is awesome. And I'm like crying. He's like, here's some water. And in that moment, I was like, why would you give me water? And of course, because it's hot, right? But if you ask someone to put jalapenos in your food, or you like hot food, then what's the point of drenching it out? Like, and then to me, I'm like, that's like the church, you know? It's like, that's a church. Like, yeah, I love challenge. And I like controversy. And I like being pushed. But as soon as I am water, you know, I can't do it, right? So, I, I, it's just like, man, I just want people to eat the burrito, eat the jalapeno, let it burn a little bit, and say, this is good, you know, it's a good burrito, Ben, you know, and like, I am so thankful to have a church that has jalapenos in it, because I love that, don't reach for the water, take it, take the heat, anyway... The book of Acts, it's all about jalapenos. There are so many jalapenos in the book of Acts. It's sick, right? So so Jesus spends his whole career in talking about this kingdom. Like, here's how it works. Here's who you are. Here's how we do things. It's going to be awesome. And then he's gone, right? He's gone. And then he has his disciples empowered by the Holy Spirit to get the ball going for his kingdom, you know, to build his church. And they're like, all right, we got this. It's like a pearl. It's like a treasure. It's like a field, that kind of thing. And, and it came to the spot of like, who is God for? Do you know what I mean? Like, how cool would it be to be the first church and ask the question, who's God for? Who's God for? And so the first church sat in rooms, like, who's God for? And they're getting all inspired. inspired, Like, of of course, in Acts chapter two, it's like, God's for us, you know? God's for people just like us. And they have the most wonderful Pentecost in the entire planet. Like, all the Jewish people come in. It's Jerusalem, awesome. And then they go out and preach the gospel. They offer the birthday cake. You know, we got good news. Surprise. And in fact, 3,000 people convert to Christ. And they say, yeah, Christ is for them. Jesus is for the Jewish people. Jesus is for them. God's for them. And it's brilliant and it's beautiful. And then the jalapenos started coming. It's like, God's like, here, have an jalapeno. B- because it was inspired within the church, in their hearts, and they began to break up and to go out and to preach the g- Gospel to people that weren't Jewish. It's kind of almost you know test things. Go out and and tell us what happens, and and tell us if God's for them too. And so and, and so Peter goes out and he starts having these crazy dr- dreams about to eating things that that typically he would not eat, and you know to be accepting of people he would not typically be accepted of, and you know go and preach the gospel to them, and you know and so these. Gentile people, these pagan people. You know, Peter's preaching to them and they accept the gospel. And he has to go back to his church and say, God was for them too. And like, I don't know how I feel about that. You know, because technically if God's going to be for someone, they need to do this, this, and this. But God's for them, too. And then, like, Paul's baptizing these people who do not deserve to be baptized at all, and then they start speaking in tongues, and Paul's come back and say, yeah, they started speaking in tongues. I think God's for them, too. Ah, how do we think about that? And so there began to be this vocabulary of, it seemed good to the Spirit, and so it seemed good to us. And and so so the, the heartbeat, the heart posture of the book of Acts is, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit, so it's good with us. And I think that's really, really beautiful. It's really poetic, and it's good. It seems good to the Spirit, and it seems good to us. Because everyone that they sent out to preach the gospel, they would come back, and there would be a problem. Like, God was for them, too. And they didn't really belong here. And I don't feel like, yeah, uh But it seemed good to the spirit so it worked and God's kingdom is growing. One time in Acts chapter 8, there is this guy named Philip. And Philip goes out to do the same thing that the apostles did. And uh, he goes out and God tells him to change his course and to go over here and hang out here for a bit. As Philip was hanging out, uh, this caravan came through. And in the caravan had been this person from Ethiopia who had been a eunuch. Who knows what a eunuch is? Don't say it and don't Google it either. Right? And so so if you Google it, it'll take you bad places. And so a eunuch is like everything wrong. It's everything wrong. It's a person who's wrong. In the the Old Testament, it tells stories all the time of like, you know, God's Grace is for these people and these people and these people and you can, all these people can cleanse themselves and blah, blah, blah. But for the eunuch, they will never enter the kingdom of God, right? And so there's this idea of the eunuch because they're not a guy or a girl. They're not Gentile nor June or Persian, or there's like, they're often imported in, and they do horrible things, and, and they're hyper-spiritualists, and, and, and it's just like, what are you? And what are you doing with your life? And in, in the book of Isaiah, it says, you'll never enter the kingdom of God if you're a eunuch. So in this story of Acts chapter 8, here's Philip. And this caravan comes by, and in it is this eunuch from Ethiopia. And he's coming back from Jerusalem. And in his hand, he's holding the scroll of Isaiah. And in this scroll of Isaiah is the very passage that I just told you about. Isaiah is the prophet who said, the kingdom of God is not for you if you are a eunuch. And he's studying this passage. He's studying this passage, this this prophecy about Jesus. And he encounters Philip on the road. And he says, help me understand this. And so Philip then tells him the gospel about Jesus, correct? He tells him about Jesus, he interprets this passage. Philip is offering the birthday cake, right? Well, I guess I'll surprise you, this good news is for you too. And then after hearing the gospel and after having his heart prodded, it seems to me this eunuch then gets down on his knees and puts his hand in the cake, pulls out the engagement ring and says, what is then keeping me from being baptized? That's a jalapeno. The Ethiopian eunuch is a problem because everything is keeping him from being baptized. Everything. You're holding the scroll. Everything is keeping, him, uh, is keeping him from being baptized. But he's holding the engagement ring that came from this cake. Surprise. And there needs to be a wedding. It's all about the wedding. The, the combination of two things. The water turning into wine. And there's already water in the baptismal vat what is keeping this from turning in to wine and that's the hand of christ that's the sacrifice of christ that's the grace of christ everything is keeping this guy this girl this pagan from being baptized until there's a wedding the hostile takeover of grace the m- movement from this to this, because in this water turns to wine, the common turns into divine, and the ordinary becomes a priest. The Ethiopian eunuch turns into the Ethiopian priest. Philip says, God is for you too. And then he had to go back and explain that to his church. And to him I say, better you than me. And he has to go back and explain that to his church. But but here's what Philip never knew is that the eunuch became a priest, and he goes back to Ethiopia. And Ethiopia, to this day, has the most successful Christian church that has ever been on the face of this earth, per capita. And they attribute it to the Ethiopian eunuch. Because in the kingdom, the most powerful prophets, priests, And poets come from places of brokenness. People who do not belong. People who do not belong in the kingdom here, they belong in this kingdom here. Because there is a wedding. Heaven is crashing into earth. And Jesus is constantly in this business of saying, the kingdom of God is coming. The kingdom of God has come. And the kingdom of God will come. And there's this business of water Turn into wine, because the idea of what is keeping me from being baptized is a bigger question. If you understand and you remember the origins of Hebraic baptism, which begins with the time of Abraham crossing over the Jordan, and then the Jewish people going from Egypt into the desert there's this crossing through water that that there's this idea of the crossing and the passage through water the crossing over rivers is the origin of baptism because they say before I was in Babylon, before I was in Egypt, before I was a sinner and captive and you know blah 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 but then through the passage of God, parting of waters I have come to be a son and daughter of God through this I cross a river, from this I cross a river, and eventually the people in the desert even cross back over the Jordan into the promised land. The priests put their feet in the Jordan and it parts. That's what priests do. They part rivers. And in biblical times, rivers are very significant because those are the natural borders. Every country in biblical times is surrounded by water, and that's where it ends. The natural borders during biblical times are rivers, and priests have a business of standing in them, causing them to separate so people can walk through. And so when the Ethiopian eunuch says, what is keeping me from being baptized, it's almost like saying, what is keeping me from crossing this border into your kingdom? What is keeping me from crossing this border into your kingdom? And Philip says, absolutely nothing. God is for you, too. So, what would it be like? What would it be like to play the part of a priest? To play the part of a priest that steps in the rivers, causing them to separate. To, to be what Paul, what Peter talks about. But you are chosen by God, chosen for the high calling of priesthood work, chosen to be holy people, God's instruments to do his work and speak out for him, to tell others of the night and day difference that he made for you from nothing into something, rejected and to accepted. What would it be like to be that? What is a priest anyway? What is a priest anyway if you priest, it'll, it'll pretty much simply say someone who offers the sacraments to others. Well, what is a sacrament? A sacrament is a physical representation of a spiritual reality. It is a physical representation of a spiritual reality. And to the priest who also is a poet, then they say, then everything on earth is a sacrament and testament to God's spiritual reality. What would it be like to offer the sacraments and say, this world is God's? What is it to offer bread and to offer wine? These are the traditional sacraments, but say, this is the body that points to the brokenness of Christ, that he died and he gave himself for us so that all debts are paid, so that there is forgiveness, that the borders are open, so that all can come into his kingdom. What would it be like to be able to look into the sacraments and say this grape juice is not about grape juice at all. In fact, who really cares about grape juice? But this is really important. This isn't just grape juice. This is a spiritual reality that his blood was spilt so that I could be forgiven for everything that I have done, am doing, and will be done. What would it be like to be able to see through the physical things and see the reality of the spiritual things? Like, have you ever gone on a tour of Greeley? Oh, there are actually tours here that people will take you around Greeley, and they're like, oh, that's great. It's fantastic. Like, there are people who love Greeley, and they want to take you around Greeley and point out everything cool of Greeley that you pass every day, but you never knew existed. What would it be like to be a tour guide for Jesus and to take people around their daily lives and say, man, there is so much spiritual reality all around you, and his grace, and his forgiveness, and his goodness. This is what priests do they crash heaven into earth and say, it's coming, it's already here, and it will come. And this is the joy we get as Christians. It's to be speaking for God, as Peter says. It's to be the voice of God, as Peter says. It's to be the servants of God, as Peter Peter says. And this is the heart posture of a priest. The heart posture of a priest starts from here. It does not start from here, Does this make any sense? No, but it's good because there's more than enough. And God is a God of abundance. Because our kingdom, God's kingdom, is like a table. God's kingdom is like a table. That on the table, there is bread. And the bread is symbolic of the broken body of our king. It isn't symbolic of a great conquering king. It is the broken body of a king. The body of a servant who came and he died for people that have no business belonging here. On this table, there's bread, symbolic of brokenness, and a heart of our God who died and gave himself for his people. And on this table, there is a cup of wine, or in our case, grape juice, and this is symbolic of the blood that our God gave for us. So, so that he poured open his heart, he poured open his life, he came down because we have a king who is all about a kingdom of sacrifice, a kingdom that doesn't make any sense, a kingdom that is on its head. And he offers his forgiveness, he offers his grace to everyone who does not belong, including those who build fences. And to this table, he is adamant that everyone is invited. Everyone, even those that don't belong there, have no business being there, they're not good enough, they're broken, you messed up a lot more than you should, and then some more. You're welcome to come here. It's a table that its arms are open for the pacifists, the activists, the soldiers, the people that are anti-war the Hispanics, the Italians, the Germans, the Greeks, they are all welcome here. It's a place that we put down our flags. This is a place for the conservatives, the liberals, the Democrats, the Republicans. Come, put down your flags. Come to this table. This is what the kingdom is like. And whenever God's children gather there's the need to remind us over and over again. You are the chosen ones. Chosen by God. Chosen for high calling of priestly work. You are chosen to be a holy people. God's instruments to do his work and to speak out for him. To tell others of the night and day difference that he made for you. From nothing. Yet you were nothing. You are now everything. You were once rejected. And now you are accepted. You are priests. So turn to each other. And say you are a priest. One more time. That was really lame. You are a priest. Pray with me. God we love you. And we thank you for loving us. We thank you for being here and for preparing tables for us. That no matter where we come from, no matter who we are, no matter what we've done, that there is a seat for us at your table. God, we thank you for the most amazing thing about your grace is that we can take advantage of it. And that our cup overflows God, we thank you for your kingdom and that you are our king. Help us to believe it. Help us to operate from a kingdom perspective and see the people around us as brothers and sisters and your children. God, help us us to have the heart posture of love and compassion. Help us to have a heart for the broken. Oh God, we thank you for the jalapenos you give us. So in this time, uh, there has been a metaphorical table that has been prepared for you. We're going to go into a time of communion. And communion like I said, it's the body of Christ and the blood of Christ. And if you believe in Christ and you believe that he died for you and the gospel is for you and it is for you if you believe it or not, then you are welcome to come to this table because this table is for people who have been here often and it's for people who have not been here often enough. It's for people who feel close to God, and it's for people who feel very, very far away. It's for people who try hard to serve him, and those who do not serve him at all, but love him. This table is for the people that are broken, and people who are trying to be holy. This table is the place to put down our flags, it's a place to put down our efforts, it's a place to put down everything that typically defines us And says, this is about Jesus and his sacrifice for us. Because he loves us no matter what. And so there's going to be a tray that's going to come around. And in the tray there's going to be these cups. And there's going to be cups on top of cups. The bottom cup is going to contain a piece of bread. And the top cup is going to be grape juice. Take both of those together and hold on to them through the upcoming song. And after that, I'll come back up and we will take it together. In this song, in this song, as you hold the body of Christ and you hold the blood of Christ, focus on the weight of that in your hands because you are invited to carry it and you are invited to give this to others. You are priests who understand the significance of the spiritual reality of the body and the blood. And you are a child of God that this table has been set for because you are a priest. So I want to call the ushers up and we will begin. Know that you are loved and that you are priests.